0: Welcome to Black and Publish, a podcast for writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. I'm your host, Nikisha Elise Williams, an author, two-time Emmy award-winning producer, publisher, all that good stuff. Today, we're talking with Benguni, the author of *Looking for Hope*. Benguni is a natural storyteller. An avid reader, she began composing her own narratives as a small child in grade school. With roots in West Africa and the Gullah Geechee region of Georgia's Barrier Islands, Benguni began writing Looking for Hope as a labor of love. She has a background in education and has channeled her technical know-how into her creative passion. Looking for Hope is her debut novel. So, let's get into it. Black and published family, let's welcome Benguni to the show. First question. So, Ben Gooney, when did
1: you know that you were a writer? Ooh, great question. Uh, I think I've always known for as long as I could write. I have been writing stories since I was in sixth grade, and I've always loved the written word, and so I've always enjoyed writing poetry and songs. So, it was always there. Um, I think I have just recently felt like, you know, this is something that I could do for a living or something that I enjoy doing. And I I would like to do it more for just my own pleasure.
0: So you said something that you could do for a living in what capacity? Because we're going to get to the book, but there's other ways that writers make money besides (laughs) just writing books.
1: All of it. I've tried uh, blogs. I've tried... Uh, I've I've been a singer and I wrote both of my albums. Uh, I've written a bunch of poetry and a few of those poems were accepted into um, books of poetry, but then I didn't follow up and do the things that I needed to do for it to actually be included in the work. Uh, so I, I've always wanted to just write. That's just a part of who I am, even journaling every day and or not every day, but when I, there's a need for me to journal um it's just always been a part of my life
0: you talk about the um not following up with the poetry that were accepted to some anthologies
1: mm-hmm.
0: and those are kind of false starts that I think that all writers go through has that discouraged you at all in your writing journey
1: I wouldn't say it discouraged me because the very first one that I had I think I wrote back in um my early college days I wrote this poem and I submitted it and they sent it back and said it was accepted. They needed me to correct one little thing and I never did correct it and send it back. I still keep that acceptance letter. And every now and again, I will go back and look at it. It's a reminder, um, to stop allowing fear to prevent me from doing things because this is not the only area of my life where I struggle with fear. Um, and so, It's kind of helped me become, I wouldn't say fearless because the fear is still there, but it helps me to remember you have to push past the fear um, and push past self-doubt and that kind of thing. Just try it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Just try it.
0: Do you find that your fear cripples you as a writer?
1: It has. Uh, and that's something I'm still working through. I have a project that I'm working on now that I'm a bit intimidated by some of the things. Some of the things I know I need to do, and for me, um, intimidation makes me kind of it, it freezes me and in, in you know in where I am. I don't move forward. And then there'll come a point where I will just say, you know what, bump it. I'm just gonna go for it. So.
0: So because I I think I know what that project is and I'm not going to put you on blast. <laughs> Let's go to your first book, your debut novel, Looking for Hope, which is coming out January 26, 2021. Yes. By the time of this interview it might actually already be out. Yes. So I know that this was a 14-year journey for me, for you.
1: Why? for that reason for feeling like I wasn't good enough feeling like who wants to hear from me who's gonna even read this book um and just that self-doubt am I really good you know do does anybody have any interest in anything that I have to say um and I could either allow that to paralyze me or I could just say you know what I'm going to push it and put it out there. And if it doesn't do what I expect it to do, figure out why and try something different the next time.
0: So what is it that you wanted to say that made you conceive the story and start writing?
1: You know, I am and I feel like most authors probably have this, uh, I don't want to call it a problem. It's something weird that happens with us. Our characters kind of live in our heads and they talk to us. And so this particular character, the main character in this book is named Mouse and she's a young girl. She would just tell me stuff and her story just kind of kept nagging at me. That's what typically happens when it's something that I am supposed to do or that I need to do. It will stay there and keep kinda always in the background, murmuring, making a little noise, or something will happen, or a line will wake me up, or, you know, it'll come from somewhere and I'll have to jot it down. So she's been living in my headspace for quite some time now. I'm glad that she's finally vacating the premises.
0: <laughs> you um. talk about, you know, living in that headspace. Mm-hmm. And she's been there for 14 years. So she should be good and grown okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> Um what did you learn in writing and rewriting her story over the years about your gift as a writer and about the craft and technique of writing itself?
1: Ooh. Ooh, okay, good things or bad things, because <laughs> I learned both. <laughs> I want it all. So give me the bad and then finish with the good. Okay, bad things. I do believe I have a natural talent for written storytelling, but you cannot rely on that. And there were some bad habits that I'm still trying to work through that were revealed in me actually sitting down to write my first novel. Um, It's a little different when you're writing blog posts or short stories or poems to write a full novel that's going to keep someone's attention and keep characters straight and ages straight and, it's a lot of work. It's it's more work than I um, anticipated and more work than I ever imagined. And there were times where I wanted to quit because I was like, okay, maybe I'm not. This isn't for me. <laughs> but I had to push past that and know that even when you are naturally gifted at something, if you want to be really good at it, it still takes work. And that's what I, I wasn't really prepared for the work um good things was the confirmation that came from dealing with my peers and them reading the story people who ended up being mentors or you know you as well can i say you as the publisher you, you can say me as the publisher <laughs> you and your company as the publisher um my best friend is has a doctorate in um english and rhetoric and i was intimidated to share my work with her because i'm not studied in that particular field, and so I know I have challenges when it comes to punctuation like commas are my Achilles heel and uh, how you properly use quotation marks and all of that. So I was a little intimidated by sharing that with her and getting her feedback, but then hearing from all of those sources, wow, this is a good story, and just they helped me kind of polish it up versus, girl, this, mm you need to find something else to do, <laughs> That was encouraging, and it gave me um, it boosted my confidence a bit, and uh, I'm I'm ready to kind of share my gift with the world, or as far as it is supposed to go.
0: Okay, so you talk about the intimidation of it as well as you know getting your confidence uplifted because you had something good; it just needed some more finesse with it. Mm-hmm. Have you embraced? this new title that you have now as an author and a creative enough to eventually, because you said it in the beginning, make that leap to doing this full time.
1: Well, I do. I am confident in that there's something about the way that I write that connects with people. And that comes from other projects that I have done that have done well um, recently. And, so it's uh, there's a hesitation to just go ahead and just jump out there. Uh, I'm a single woman who has a pup to take care of, so I have to pay the bills. <laughs> so until it proves itself to be something that could be a stable main source of income for me, then I will probably always work another job. Um, but I would absolutely love to write full time, whether it's novels, whether it's um, being in someone's writer's room, that's kind of an aspiration of mine at this point. So I, I'm i ready to do it all, but we got to get some coinage coming in first before we walk away from the nine to five. So,
0: <laughs> Okay, writer's room. <laughs> um, but at this point, especially with some of your freelance projects that you've done, and I won't out you, yes. um, you know, Writing is no longer just this thing you do for fun. It's not a hobby anymore. It's especially on your journey of your book, it is a job. It is work. How have you balanced that? Do you still find it to be an outlet? Is it still fun for you or do it or is or does it feel like, "Oh my God, I gotta write, Oh my God, I gotta write. And does it feel like does it have that weight of a a job to it to you?
1: Um, it does have that weight. What I'm finding is it's much easier and, and does not feel as much like a job when it's something that I enjoy writing about. If it's not something I'm excited about, then it feels like a chore and I have to make myself do it. Um, so even within, uh, my mom asked me the other day, she, she was kind of chuckling because I was all excited about something and saying that I was gonna write about it. And then she said, well, what are you gonna do if it's something that you don't like? And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm kind of noticing that I struggle in that area. And I really haven't developed a strategy for that other than I'm the type of person who, if I have a deadline, I'm gonna hit the deadline. And so that's been helpful in terms of making sure that I get things done that I need to get done. But when there's no joy, it's a lot harder for me.
0: Did you have joy writing the story of Mouse and her cast of characters that I won't give away?
1: (laughs) Ooh, some days I had joy. Some days I hated all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I guess most authors I think have, especially if it's a book that's kind of... um, you know, the characters are very real life. I definitely had those moments where I wrote something and then it made me laugh or it made me kind of feel sad or whatever the case may be. And then I had those moments where it was content that I struggled with. Um, and there were some revelations that, you know, I was faced with as I was trying to write the book. Uh, because I have a bad habit when I'm reading. If it's too flowery and it's four pages of a description about wallpaper. I'm trying to skip past that because I want the meat and potatoes of the story. And then I found myself actually writing like that. But you can't do that. You have to, in order to pace the story and to give it all of the details that make it what it is, you have to include those details and you have to. My um, first mentor would tell me, slow down. Why are you in such a rush to tell the story? And so that's, I had to learn that those things have a purpose. And so um, it it was a battle. And that's why it took me so long to write a mouse. I had to find myself as an author. I didn't know who I was as an author. Um, and that, I mean, I think that'll be a continuing journey. I will always be looking to learn more about myself as a writer. But this, as my first novel, this was really me kind of figuring out my voice and who I am.
0: Okay. So we talked a lot about the writing Of the story, and I'm gonna have you read a bit from it in a bit. But what I wanna talk about now is the business of it. Because part of the goal of Black and Published is to talk about, you know, not just how to write, because a lot of people who are writers know how to write, but there's a there's a big gap between writing and publishing or producing or actually getting the work into the world. What was your journey like, including going with me? an independent, I guess the correct term would be vanity publisher to put out your work and trusting in that process.
1: Whew. You came through like, um, <laughs> like uh, I don't, I can't even think of a word right now for it because for one, when I ventured into it and this is, I have a habit of doing this a lot. I love the art. Um, I love the art of storytelling so I consume all things storytelling. I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of television because I love how you tell a story and how it can really touch people. I did not care about the business part. So when I decided to write a book, it had, that was not part of my decision, and it, nor was it part of the process for me. When it became a part of the process was when I thought, uh, stressing on that word thought, the book was done. And my mentor said to me, okay, have you done this? Have you done this? What about this? What? And I, my eyes got big and I was like, no, ma'am, no, ma'am, you, you're giving me too much right now. Like <laughs> nobody was talking about all of that. I just want to put this book out. Like, so um, at that point, I started trying to research and I became overwhelmed with all the working pieces of trying to get a book out and doing it well. I mean. You can just put a book up on Amazon, but I've tried to do everything in my life in the spirit of excellence. And so I wanted it done right and wanted it done well. And so in order to do that, it was a whole lot more work than I had any idea. And so um, I met you by coming. My aunt suggested that I come to um, your speech or your series at the library and I came and you were talking about publishing, and you said you messed up and said you had your own publishing company. Like, yeah, so we're going to talk to her. <laughs> but I knew you knew what you were doing. And I don't even know why. I just sometimes I have this, I just knew. And so we met, and I think we kind of clicked, and you read it, and you're like, okay, I think I can work with this. But then you also gave me notes and made me do the work. And uh, I'm thankful, I'm grateful that uh, we crossed paths because it has been a godsend in my life in terms of this book. Cause I don't think it would have gotten out if, uh, <laughs> if we hadn't connected, so.
0: So what's next for you in writing and your other creative pursuits? Cause I didn't forget that you mentioned that you wrote songs and wrote two whole albums. Yeah, she wrote two whole albums so um, what's next?
1: Um, I, I think I've, I've really found my passion in writing novels, and, and I have two books that are kind of, both of them are back and forth chomping at the bit in my head right now, and so I've got to begin the work of preparing those and determining what I'm going to do with them, so I've got two big projects on, in my brain right now, and it's getting them out onto paper. So that's my focus for right now, is is the next couple of novels, and, and making a, a mark in uh, my little corner of the world.
0: Super dope. Um, I like that you say you've got the projects in your brain. For me, when I'm writing, I don't really start writing until I could almost speak every word that would go on the page and I know, okay, it's time to get to the computer because it's ready to come out. That's my process. So it can nag me forever, but if it's not coming back and I'm not ready to say it out loud, then I'm not ready to write it down. How does that process work for you where you finally decide, okay, you've been nagging me, but now I'm going to be obedient and listen and go sit down and, and start working this out on the computer and start writing or whatever the process
1: is. I kind of, I am um weird. I'm very much moved much moved by um feelings in the moment. So I've started the first chapter for one of them just because one day it was like, okay, let's do the first chapter. And um it just it'll come to me in snatches and I'll know who my characters start forming and, and kind of informing me about who they are. Um but I don't think there's a real process in terms of, okay, I know I'm ready. I just kind of It just happens. Um, and then I'll write a little bit and I'll walk away from it. I am a little bit determined this time that once I start, it's not going to take me 14 years to get the story out. Thank God. (laughs) We're not doing that anymore. Now, I think I had to prove to myself. I could do it with this first one. So now that I know I can do it, now I have to kind of get a routine together. Maybe, um, a schedule of me writing something that's a little more get me into a rhythm than just kind of doing it whenever the mood hits me. But, um, so that's, that's my hope is that I'll get a kind of a writing schedule and know, okay, I'm a night owl. So it'll probably be in the evenings or late at night that I will sit down and say, all right, let me dedicate this time to writing every day. So
0: that's the plan. Okay. So we talked a lot about writing and characters and your debut, Looking for Hope. So I'm going to read the synopsis, and then I want you to read a little section for us, whatever you feel. Okay. Let let, let the spirit use you. (laughs) Okay. So this is Looking for Hope by Ben Gooney, out January 26, 2021, from New Reads Publications. Here is the synopsis. Grief has a way of cementing our feet to the ground wherever we're standing when it hits us. It takes work, it takes hard work to get unstuck from that place, but we have to be willing to dig in. In this coming of age tale, Binguni weaves a narrative about Hannah Mouse Maynard and her transformation from a shy, quiet girl into a strong and assertive woman. At seven years old, Mouse encounters a tragedy that forces her to face the evils of the world and leave behind everything she's ever known. With their home destroyed, Mouse and her father travel from Maplewood, Georgia, to Virginia and Michigan, confronting their past as they move into their future. Mouse encounters women along the way who help her find the strength to survive and thrive against all she's seen. Through these bonds and their fierce protection, Mouse not only finds her voice, but a renewed sense of hope. Take it away.
1: Okay, I'll be reading from chapter two, and here we have Mouse and her father. They're traveling, and they are making their first stop, the first of many. A withered man in a straw hat sat on top of the step of the porch. He gnawed on a piece of the same hat, which was sticking out of the right side of his upturned mouth. We came to know him as West, simply West. No one knew if that was his first name, last name, or if that was even his given name at all. No one knew his beginnings or endings, just as no one here would know mine. That was the story of all Miss Janie's borders. Uh, me and my daughter here need a place to take up for a while. Someone back there on that street told me to see a lady here named Janie. Ray directed his statement at the man on the stairs. I'm Janie, a small woman appeared at the screen door. Her eyes were inquisitive and her mouth was set in a way that left her unreadable. Her clothes were plain, nothing special about them that would come to mind immediately if asked to recall them. Her stature was nothing noteworthy either, but those hands. They immediately drew my attention as she exited the house and walked from the door to the edge of the porch. They were gnarled like the winding roots of a tree. What those hands had been through was unimaginable to me. She caught my gaze and quickly put her hands in the large pockets on either side of her dress. What you need, Miss Janie asked. Ray removed his hat and bowed slightly. Me and my daughter need a place to stay for a while, and I need work. Well, I got folks that pay to live here and folks that work to live here. There's always plenty to do. We need someone to help farm the land back behind the house, and we need someone to do repairs to this old thing, your choice. Your work can pay for your room and board, and that child can do choice to make her own way. If that deal worked with you, welcome to Franklintown, Virginia. You'll find an empty room on the far right side of the second floor. Got a little cot we can put in there for that child. Miss Janie looked over at me, lowering her head and raising her eyebrows. You stay from underfoot, you hear? And mind what I tells you. I looked down at my feet, wishing there was some way I could disappear. Ray nudged me. I continued to peer down. I apologize. She can be quiet as a church mouse. That's what we call her because she's so shy. Ray laughed nervously. I wanted to answer her, but my voice had dug deep down inside me and nestled itself quite nicely underneath my pain. That's all right. Seemed like she a good child, just quiet. Y'all go on, on and settle in. Dinner is served around seven. You can be ready to work full day in the morning. Miss Janie went back into the house with no questions as to who we were, why we ended up here, and how long we'd be staying. Ray glanced over at me and said, Mouse, you gonna have to talk to folks. People gonna think you ain't right in the head if you don't answer them. He circled his finger around his right ear in demonstration of his meaning. Usually that would have made me laugh. I watched an ant crawl over my hand-me-down Mary Jane's. You ain't said nothing since we left Maplewood. Might be better that way, Ray mumbled to himself. Fine if you don't talk, but you better not cause me near bit of trouble, you hear? Ray nudged my shoulder and we entered the house, clambering up the stairs with our suitcases.
0: All right. So it's a lot going on in that scene. Um, I've read the book, so I know what happens. <laughs> uh, but what I did notice the first time is that Mouse's reaction to saying something that would have made her laugh. Can you talk about her transformation throughout the story from someone who would have laughed at a joke their father made to someone who can't even find their
1: voice? I think, oh, that almost made me sad when you said that. Like, I hadn't really I think I hadn't really thought of Mouse's complete journey in that way. So she was a happy child, almost charmed, you know, she had kind of middle-class or maybe a little on the lower end of middle-class black family, 1950s. Um, And she goes through something very traumatic and life-changing. And, you know, as with many of us, things that happen in our lives, it changes who you are. It, It will shake you to the very fiber of your being and, for a child to go through that children are extremely resilient. Um, but I think for what she went through and having seen what she saw, it just kind of totally, I, I, want to use the analogy, took her breath away, but it was worse, worse than that. And she could not even find her voice in this uh, first part of the story. She doesn't speak. Um, and so, to watch her transform from that and then to come into this place where she can speak up for herself and basically rights the wrongs that have been done. It's an amazing journey now that I'm looking back on it and thinking about it. I, I think it was empowering, empowering. And it's funny because while what happened to her didn't happen to me, there are definite points in my own life where I can see that happening, like the transition of here's this child or, or kid who's kind of unsure and doesn't really speak up and, t- you know, growing into a woman who's very, takes care of herself and can speak up and stand up and say, no, that isn't right. Or no, I'm not going to allow you to treat me like that. Um, it, it's a good transition. And I, I'm excited to share that with people
0: some writers choose to write their own story and to write memoirs Mm -hmm. and tell their story by telling the truth Mm -hmm. and other writers, myself included choose to write fiction Mm -hmm. where the truth is embedded, but you can't find it. If you don't really know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. why was fiction the vehicle for you to go about you know, healing that inner child of your own?
1: Um, I think I've, I just have always had this imagination. I always have had these stories come to me and different things. Even <laughs> this is silly, but even now, like if I go somewhere and I'm sitting alone, I will, let's say I go out to eat and which I will go to the movies or out to eat by myself. I am a very good date. Like I love to date myself. <laughs> So I can go to a restaurant and sit at the table by myself and I'm watching. People may not know I'm watching everyone around me. And sometimes I'll make up little stories about why these people are sitting at the table and haven't spoken to each other the entire time they're eating their meal. Or, um, you know, this happy family is over here laughing and I'm making up a story about why they're having fun. Like, it's just a constant thing with me. And so I think that part was natural. Um, But I do see a common thread. I often write young girls. Mm -hmm. And I started to notice that about a year or so ago. I was like, why are my stories always centered around young girls? (laughs) So I think most authors probably, like you said, there's always a shred of truth in there somewhere. Because um, there's a saying, what is it, art imitates life. So even when we're making up stuff, we have to draw from somewhere. And so I think we just become a part of the story, even when you, even when the author is invisible, they're in there somewhere. Um, and so I take it for that. Like, I, yes, I tell fiction, but I gotta, I gotta pull it from somewhere. I have to have either had that experience or somehow know about that experience in order to make it authentic in the book.
0: Now that you have said all that, I think what happens a lot with fiction writers is that the audience is trying to find out which person are you in the book. Mm-hmm. I found that happened with me a lot, especially with my debut. So everyone's trying to figure out which woman I was <laughs> in the book. So what do you want readers to get out of the book, even as they're trying to figure out which part might may or may not be true to you? What do you want them to really take away?
1: Hmm. I want them to take away triumph. We are never, our circumstances can only dictate who we are if we allow it. Um, Of course, again, like I said, there are things that happen in your life that will sometimes change who you are and will shake you. But we can overcome all things and the power to do that is within us. We may need to seek help outside of that but the power to to overcome it and to be exactly who we desire to be is within us and has always been within us. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I want people to take away. Like this kid had this horrible circumstance happen to her, but she ends up being a very powerful and kind and gentle person that didn't dictate who she was. And so I think that's the biggest part of the story I want people to walk away with. And I'm not really, other than the fact that, you know, I do know somebody, uh, I do know a couple of people that this kind of happened to in a way, um, not in the same way that it happened to Mouse. Um, There's not really a whole lot of me in the story uh the characters some of them kind of have some of my character traits like mouse bites her nails i bit my nails as a child still a habit that i kind of have to be mindful of so i think there are always little teeny things throughout the book but that's the main focus of the story is triumphant overcoming and stepping into your power i'm so big on especially black women knowing how powerful we are we are so amazing and I just wish that everyone knew that. And so I think that's what the focus of this story is.
0: That's awesome. So I want to transition into like a little bit of a speed round before we close out. Okay. And it's not in my notes because this is the first interview of Black and <laughs> Published. So, but I did have the idea and I didn't write down all the questions. So we're gonna see where this go, where this goes. <laughs> all right. And you can just give an answer, no explanation. Or if you want to expound, you can. Okay. Mm. Favorite book.
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) You should have warned me. Girl, I have so many. Okay. I'll go to the first book that probably made me fall in love with the written word. And that was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison.
0: Okay. Favorite author.
1: Hmm. Hmm. It would probably be. I have a few. Can I name a few? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tony Morrison. Uh oh goodness. Bernice McFadden was one of my favorites. Uh Tyari Jones. Oh, uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, I have tons of people that I, I really love. Like, I love your writing style. I just—I'm an avid reader, so uh, so many. But okay. Favorite movie? Oh gosh, again, I have so many. Um, oh, oh man. Okay, I'm drawing a blank. Hold on. Let me let me grasp at something. I will say. Oh goodness, what is the name? Now I can't even remember the name of the movie. It's where Brad Pitt is death. That's one of my favorite movies. Uh Meet Joe Black. Okay.
0: Favorite TV show. Past or present?
1: Lovecraft Country.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> favorite song.
1: Girl. You it's like asking me to pick a favorite child. <laughs> like, um favorite song. Or album,
0: if there's a go-to album or song, favorite. Okay, song go-to
1: album. album would be Brandy's Full Moon. Cornbread or biscuits. Cornbread. <laughs> mm, I'm a cornbread fan, Southern gal. <laughs> Cake or ice cream. Cake.
0: And if you had to pick a, a vacation spot, would you choose a beach vacay? somewhere in the mountains or like a retreat in the desert?
1: Definitely beach um, because I love the water and I'm a scuba diver. So I have to be somewhere where I can get in the water.
0: (laughs) All right. So that concludes the speed round. And I want to go to the last question for the interview today. Okay. So writers spend a lot of time, in their heads creating these characters or reflecting on their own lives and writing these stories or even analysis of things and events. When you're dead and gone, and what would you like someone one day to write about you and your legacy?
1: Mm, That's a very good question that I led with love. Um, Oh, and I'm getting a little choked up. (laughs) I try to do everything with love, um, no matter who I'm dealing with, even when someone's been unkind to me. um, I just, my grandparents raised me and my grandmother was one of the sweetest people you could ever meet. And I just hope that in everything that I do, I'm making her proud. So. Amen. (laughs)
0: So that's our first episode with Ben Big shout out to her for being here. Make sure you check out Ben debut novel, Looking for Hope, which is available everywhere books are sold. And if you're not following her, follow her on the socials at BenGooney.life. That's M-B-I-N-G-U-N-I dot life. That's our show for the week. If you liked this episode and want more Black and Published, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow Black and Published at Black and Published on Instagram and Twitter at BLK and Published. And to keep up with me, head to newrights.com or follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nikisha underscore Elise. I'll holla at y'all next week. Peace.